Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to the Pastoral Thoughts Podcast. This is your host, Jack Young, and we've got two very special guests in the office today. I appreciate these gentlemen for taking time out of their busy weeks, their busy schedules, and being with us. Uh, we're going to talk about the power of assembly. I got with me Pastor Jeff Harris, just celebrated seven years at the Anchor Baptist Church, church he started. It wasn't his first church that he was involved in, but uh, he's, he is with us, and it's been good uh, just to be near to him. And I've known him for probably about a decade now, I think. And then I have my father, Dr. Tim Young, and I've known him all my life. <laughs> and he's been pastoring, and the Heritage Baptist Church just celebrated the 40th anniversary, started that church, and was in the ministry before that. So we've got a wealth of experience and knowledge with us today. And we're going to talk about the importance of church assembly and something that is near and dear to my heart. And um, welcome to the podcast, fellas. Thank you so much. Good to be here. Yeah. Well, we wanted to start off uh, just, um, you guys can tell us just a little bit about um, perhaps you getting saved and uh, how church has played a role in your life in particular. Hey, Brother Harris, why don't you go first? Uh, and that way, after I listen to yours, I may change mine up a little. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. I'll be the guinea pig. <laughs> well, it's great to be here. Thank you so much, Pastor Young. And uh, it's an honor to be with you as well as uh, your father, Dr. Tim Young. Um, I consider both of these men great friends, and I'm honored to be pastoring in this same vicinity here up in western New York. So I got saved at the age of 12, and um, I grew up in a unique situation. Everybody in my family is deaf, so both my parents, I'm the oldest of three, so both of my siblings on my dad's side, uh, my grandparents were all deaf, my uncle and his wife, my aunt. So going to church was really more of a limited option. We couldn't just pick, you know, if we were Methodist, we could go to Methodist church. If, let's say, we changed our belief and we were Baptist or Lutheran, we could pick whatever we wanted. That wasn't our luxury. It was who had a deaf ministry, who had an interpreter. Uh, But growing up down south in Kentucky, Danville, Kentucky, just south of Lexington, mom and dad went to a Southern Baptist deaf church. So the pastor was deaf and everything was in sign language. And we'd go just Christmas, Easter, and whenever there was uh, free food, amen. <laughs> and so that was the extent of it. And uh, mom and dad have a testimony of salvation, uh, live a good um, moral life. They're retired educators, but they never really taught us the Bible. I don't remember ever the Bible being opened, much less praying before a meal. So it wasn't really a part of our life. But a college buddy of my father's, a deaf man who was a missionary to Ecuador, South America, um, and so this would have been back in 91, he is still in Ecuador this day in 2020, reaching the deaf people there. But he came through to visit my dad, um, and it was through that conversation he asked me about if I knew for sure I was going to be in heaven, and I said no. He witnessed to me, and that started about a six-month process of me starting to hunger to learn more about the gospel, and I ended up getting saved six months later at a Sunday school service. I'd never been to Sunday school before. I had a friend of mine invite me to Sunday school. It was a 12 and 13 year old boys class. And I'm seated in the class and the youth pastor of that church, Calvary Baptist Church in Danville, Kentucky, was a United States Marine. I didn't know this at the time, but his grandparents were also deaf. Mm -hmm. But I didn't know the connection until years later. 
But he's teaching the class. I'm coming under deep conviction. It's been six months that I had been wrestling with this. And uh, when everybody left, or before everybody left the classroom that day, he said, if any of you boys want to know for sure that you're on your way to heaven, then come see me after class. I had determined that I was going to be the first kid out the door into the hallway so I could escape the conviction that I was under. While he's praying, I'm thinking, I'm going to be out that door. I'll be the first kid. As soon as he said amen, somehow everybody got in line. I ended up being the last kid out the door. As soon as I got to that threshold, the conviction was so heavy. I did, and I'm so grateful. I stopped, and I turned to him, and I said, Brother Dan, I'm lost. What do I need to do to be saved? I had tears in my eyes. He said, come on back. And he sat me down, took me through the Romans road, and just me and him in that room. And then a few minutes later, I asked Jesus Christ to save my soul. But I didn't really grow in grace after that. I fell away. I didn't go back to church. Um, and, and, and of course, as a young Christian, I didn't know anything about Bible doctrine. Uh, but Obviously, now today, I know that uh, I'm eternally secure. So while I may have backslidden, I didn't lose my salvation, but I didn't know much about the Lord. But it was at the age of 17, living a normal all-American high school life, playing on the local football team and wrestling and whatnot, that something was missing. Now, I knew I was saved, but I wasn't right with the Lord. Mm -hmm. I found in a Sword of the Lord uh, advertisement for a church in Lexington, Kentucky, about 45 minutes away, an independent Baptist church. And so I decided to go visit. It was the summer before my senior year in high school. And I sat in that service, and for the first time, sitting in a church service, I didn't fall asleep. My eyes were wide open, and I was hungry for everything I was hearing. I went back Sunday night, and I haven't missed a beat since. Amen. Now, you, you know, you, we see this a lot typically with, let's say, bus kids, and then kids maybe they're on the fringes that all the way up until about the age of 12, uh, they come to church faithfully, and it took you six months in a church before you actually got saved. Right. Uh, but then the teenage years just kind of pulled you away because you didn't right. have the structure of parents saying, nope, you're going to go to church right. tomorrow. I had some friends that were going to a Christian church, a Christian denomination, and their parents were deaf. And so because we were playing on the same high school football team and everything, I went with them to their youth group. But no, there was no discipleship. My parents were not teaching the Bible, so I was just living a normal life. Mm-hmm. And so through those high school years, um, uh, you know, I just kind of floundered spiritually. My friends that were going to a Christian church, their family moved away, and it just wasn't a part of my life. But at 17, when a friend of mine said, hey, you need to check out this uh, this sermon. It was a sermon by Dr. Jack Hiles, If I Perish, I Perish. I had no clues to who Dr. Jack Hiles was. And so I listened to the sermon, and that kind of got me a little hungry for more Bible preaching. And mm-hmm. so he sent me, a friend of mine sent me, in addition to the sermon, he sent me a subscription to the Sword of the Lord. <laughs> wow. And that's when I saw the advertisement for the church in Lexington. So I said, well, let's go check it out. So I drive 45 minutes up there, and I was hooked. I heard Bible preaching for the first time in my life. I went home that afternoon and started studying the notes that I took from that church service that day. Amen. And again, rest is history. Started to grow like a weed, so to speak, just quickly because of the influence of the church upon my life. 
in between the ages of 12 and 17, you said you realize that once saved, you're always saved. But I come across people like this, and I'm sure that both you men have as well. They'll say, you know, when I was at church camp, or I used to go to church, then my parents moved away, and I know I was saved. Like in your case, they'd say, I know I was saved the age of 12, but I think I've been saved again. Now that I started going to church, I'm getting excited. Have I been saved again? You ever gotten that before? Oh, many times. Oh, yeah. And I'll explain it this way. You are, well, you have your body, soul, and spirit, but that spiritual man was starved. But now you started to go to church, be around the, the people of faith. Um, and we see, I right. think, from First John that you can't even have security of your salvation unless you're in the household of faith, because hereby we know we pass from death unto life because we love the brethren. That's right. But once you got plugged in to church, the rest is history. You were Brother Fugitz, on fire for the Lord, went into Bible college and went out into the ministry. Dad? Well, uh, my salvation started uh, as far as growing up in a church. I was in a Lutheran church, my family was. Uh, I didn't know much about Christianity at all, even though I was going to church as a kid. We didn't go very often. I went through my confirmation class at 12 years old and became confirmed into the Lutheran Church, actually in Webster, downtown Webster, Emanuel Lutheran Church. And uh, that was probably the conclusion of the matter. I didn't go in my teenage years. And went off, uh, actually worked at Eastman Kodak for a couple years after high school, and then went off to college down by New York City to a junior college taking physical education. I was down there, and uh, I was not a, uh, I mean, I was a college student. I was a couple years older than most of the ones that I was in school with because I'd worked a couple years after high school. And uh, I came home one time, and the young lady that I uh, have been married to now for 46 years, she had grown up Catholic, and her family was very devout Catholic and and, uh, her teenage years and so forth. And Came home one time, she was home from uh, Alfred Agentech. She was in nursing school. And she asked me if I wanted to go to church the next day. And I thought we'd be going to the Catholic church. This was in uh, October of 1972. And so we, I picked her up and we ended up in a Bible preaching church. And I uh, went in there. She said that she didn't know how to explain it, but what had happened in September that, uh, that month before, she had gotten saved while she was at college. And she invited me to a Bible preaching church. And I sat there and listened to the Bible being preached. It's the first time I ever heard anything like it in my life. It's, it so um, you know, encouraged me that I, when I was going back to college, back down New York City that afternoon, Sunday afternoon after church. And I grabbed a Bible that I had been given when I was 12 years old. It was still sitting someplace in the house. I grabbed it and took it back down to Middletown, New York, and sat there and read that Bible, started in Genesis, and boy, I was just mm-hmm. trying to do the best I could to get through it or into it, <clears throat> but I was certainly curious. I didn't get back. I was playing sports, so I didn't get back until January, uh, the second Sunday in January, 1973, and we went back to church. She came up from Alford. I came home from there, and I went to that um, church service, and that Sunday morning, I went forward, and a fellow by the name of Sherman Boudreau took his Bible and showed me how to receive Christ as my Savior, and I did that day. I went back that afternoon back uh, down to New York City, but I knew something was different, and my life certainly was changing, but I didn't have a church uh, to go to that I was aware of. Finally, I got one recommended to me. It was a Christian Missionary Alliance church down there. I went there. 
uh, I was interested. I was the only college student. In fact, uh, everybody was either over 60, uh, and, and there was only a couple kids in the, in the church. Uh, one was probably 10. The other one was maybe 12, 13, brother and sister. And so for Sunday school, I sat in their class. Uh, so here I was, 22 years old, and I was sitting in a class with a 10-year-old and a 12-year-old <laughs> listening to the Sunday school class. But the truth is, I was definitely into it. I mean, I was listening Amen. to the Bible being taught, and then we'd go into service. And I can't tell you a great deal about the service, but there was a great deal of influence on my life. Uh, a lot of the things I, I did, I started. they started dropping away from my life because I had no interest anymore. But really, when I moved back after graduating that spring, I moved back into this area, uh, and actually it was in Penfield, the church I went to, and I started going Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and it was a great encouragement and help. And I've been going Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night since that time. That would have been the summer of 1973, and it was there in church among those Christians that had so much influence on me as far as the Bible when they quote the Bible or mention the Bible or a verse or something, it made me so desirous to know the Bible in that way. And then I had examples in front of me, mm -hmm. how I should live, mm -hmm. what I should Amen. do. The examples I had before I got saved were not something you'd want to repeat. Mm -hmm. And so when I saw that, I mean, it was an encouragement to follow examples of people that love the Lord, their songs and everything else. So that was where it all started with me and my salvation experience. And in, uh, in about a year and a half there, you were attended church and the pastor decided to hire hire you as an assistant right you only been yep. saved for a year and a half i'd only been saved um actually it would have been a little less than a year and a half i was saved in january 73 and in march uh, 1974 the pastor hired me to work with the youth and our first week uh as a youth youth pastor was uh spent in Hammond, Indiana, third week in March 1974. <laughs> so that was my introduction to fundamentalism in a big way. Uh, a year, not even a year later, later that spring, we pulled out of the Christian Missionary Alliance Church. It formed a Bible church, but it really is Baptist mm -hmm. uh, in doctrine and everything, and later was called a Baptist church. But uh, that was my experience as a, growing up as a Christian. And, and you so grew so rapidly and grew so quickly. And a year and a half in, uh, the, the pastor at the time decided to make you an assistant. And, um, you know, how can you grow so quickly in your, in your Christian life? You'd have to attribute that to your just faithfully being around the saints. Oh, absolutely. Time. And the teaching. Mm -hmm. We had Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, of course. And then on Thursday night, the pastor would go to actually a, a house and he would teach the college and career age another Bible study. Mm -hmm. And so being in that age group, there was probably 10 or 12 of us. Mm -hmm. And we'd go on Thursday night as well. So there was always a thirst. Yes. I remember, and I'll just stick this in there. When I was still down in Middletown in college, down by New York City, I uh, drove up to Elford, and the lady that had led my wife to the Lord, who was an instructor, nursing instructor, I, uh, we, I stayed up there for the weekend, and what we did is we stayed at the Herney's house, and Brother Herney, who had been a pastor and since retired, uh, he taught the Bible Friday night, started Friday night, and we were studying the Bible through till like one, two o'clock in the morning. We'd get up Saturday morning, have a big breakfast. We'd study the Bible all Saturday into Saturday night, but we cut off early on Saturday evening because there was probably 10 or 12 of us college students, and I had come up to be a part of it. And then we went to bed early 
you know, 10, 11 o'clock Saturday because we got up and went to church Sunday morning. Mm -hmm. We went out to a, a picnic lunch in a park near there. And then we went to Sunday night church. So, I mean, those were the kind of weekends. And it was the greatest thing in the world. So the, studied the Bible the, the, week, weekend. the weekend was devoted to Bible study. Exactly. And uh, the lady, Grandma Grace, just talked to her this morning. As a matter of fact, I called her. She had sent me this beautiful Charles Haddon Spurgeon study Bible. And um, and so that's where I get my good sermons from is old Charles. <laughs> and so does everybody else, by the way. It's just me. Uh, but uh, I, I called her and, and told her thank you for that. But she led mom to the Lord and then bring her and a bunch of nursing students home to their house for the weekend. And then she said by the time she got done with nursing school that they had read and uh, talked about, studied every verse in the New Testament through nursing school. Wow. And, and so it was a matter of just getting together with the saints. And I'll just uh, say real briefly, by way of my own personal testimony, I didn't get saved till I was 22, but I grew up in church, uh, grew up in Christian school, and we're just around uh, great men and women of God. Uh, and I think that, like you said, Brother Jeff, it took you six months before you received Christ as your Savior. I think a lot of, of people I see... Um, they hear the gospel, but they have to see the gospel lived in other people's lives for it to be legitimate and real uh, because there is a trichotomy of witness. I think it's God and then the soul winner or soul winners, and then it is the person. Um, so when I got saved, all these people that I had been exposed to, they made sense to me immediately at that moment. I understood what their big thrust of their life was, and, of course, big players, and that would be my parents. I, I understood what the big deal was uh, <laughs> with Jesus and going to church and trying to see people saved and all this stuff. And so uh, just being a part of church was um, was so instrumental in my salvation that I'm sure that if I heard the gospel alone without having the witness of Christ's body here upon this earth, his church, that I would not be saved today. Mm-hmm. And so that's a little bit of our testimony. Um, and... The Bible does say that you should be in church, does it not? What do you think, Brother Jeff? I, I heard um, one of your heroes of the faith, um, Andy Stanley, say, <laughs> <laughs> <it's just> <laughs> but he said a couple weeks ago he's gone virtual for the whole year. Wow. Of course, we're in the middle of a COVID epidemic, but the whole year wow. he has canceled church and said, I looked in the camera and said, nowhere in Scripture does Christ command his saints to assemble themselves together. That's amazing. That it is somebody, amazing to that me. Somebody too. can be an ordained preacher and make that statement. We we know that the book of Hebrews tells us in chapter ten, verse twenty five, not forsaking the assembling of the saints. Right. Mm-hmm. The word assembly, the word mm-hmm. church, rather, is a, comes from a Greek word. It means a called out assembly. Mm-hmm. So. When you assemble, that means you are there in person. Now, the church is likened to the body of Christ, Mm -hmm. and Christ is likened to the head of the body. If the head is not connected to the body, if it's severed, you have death. And so unless you and I are connected, right, and you can make the argument, well, we're always with the Lord. Well, sure, but when you look at what Jesus did, he spent that three, three and a half some odd years with his disciples everywhere. Mm-hmm. They were always together. They were always sharing a meal, always ministering. And you can't do the same thing when it's all digital, right? right. When you do digital, and I'm not against the digital. It's been a tremendous tool for getting the gospel out. 
but when you want to call out an assembly, how do you baptize digitally? Right. How do you observe the Lord's Supper digitally, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I've got a verse. You take the Bible literally, don't you? I try. <laughs> okay, so it says in 2 Corinthians 13, 12, greet one another with a holy kiss. There you go. When's the last time you <laughs> kissed a church member? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, just my wife. I kissed, I kissed a church member this morning. As a matter of fact, right. I live with her. <laughs> but we, we, yeah, we know that culturally we do not kiss each other anymore. We do uh, shake hands or bow or whatever during this pandemic. Uh, but you can't greet somebody that you are not seeing face to face. Sure. So we know that there is fifty-two one another commandments in the New Testament. Greet one another is three times there. So. Uh, but then there's 52 one another's love one another, pray for one another, have same care, yeah. bury one another's burdens. All these things can only be carried out where? At church. At church. And like you said, you know, we're a body. Uh, you have a lot of people tell you how much they love the head of Christ, but how can you say you love the head uh, when you don't love the body? Right. Because there's no, no separating the I, one hey, from the other. Hey, Doc, I think there's a great illustration that I think most people that would listen to this would understand it comes from the wizard of oz <laughs> okay <laughs> when the scarecrow was disassembled by those monkeys uh-huh. and said my arms over there and my feet are over there right, right. that's right and we're members and members in particular so we have yes. a particular function that's right as members of the body uh you know as i said you are god's gift to the church okay uh and your gift is only unwrapped as you go to church and allow yourself to be unwrapped as you minister to the body of Christ. Yeah. Well, Doc, the thing is, is in a Christian's life, I don't know how they can not be together with other Christians and desire that. You know, I'm talking about loving the brethren, as you made mention of, as far as being making knowing you're saved, because mm-hmm. you love the brethren. Mm-hmm. And how can you love the brethren at a distance? Try that in a relationship with somebody. That's exactly right. You right. Know, you got to, I mean, and, you got to be together. And you always know a sheep is ill. If you see him coming into church late, I'm not going right. to stop there because that'd be half of our congregation right there. <laughs> uh, but then they're running for the door early. S- as soon as church is over, you think there's a, there's something wrong with that sheep right there mm-hmm. because God has given you a desire for the body. You know, Joseph of Arimathea came out of his secret discipleship. He desired the body of Christ. Yeah. And... Um, Dr. Young, I think you said something really good about the marriage relationship, because if I had a digital relationship with my wife, it's not going to last. If I'm not there in person sharing the same household, able to talk to one another, see each other, hold hands, hug, Mm -hmm. and so forth, then then our marriage relationship is going to struggle. And again, it goes back to the issue of the church is likened to the body, Christ is likened to the head. But there's another analogy. The church is that of the the bride and Christ the bridegroom. And so I think you've got to be at church to do it scripturally and to grow spiritually. I remember the uh, little story about the... uh fellow went off to, uh, he was deployed for a year. It was back during the Vietnam War, and he told his um, girlfriend, he said, when I get back, you'll, you'll be married. In other words, you'll get mar- we'll get married. And so he was gone. He said, I'll write you every day, and then when I come back, you know, we'll get married. And when he got back, she was married. Mm-hmm. 
she married the postman that delivered his letter. <laughs> right, 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 right. She saw it. And, and, I, I, and I was going to say this by way of serious um, no, uh, example serious. is when I was at Fort Drum, the most deployed division in the Army, of course, a marriage is doing great, but I can't imagine. I've never been away from my wife for nine months. Yeah, they can talk on the phone. Yeah, they can see each other on Zoom and on Skype. But many military this happens it's terrible especially when you when you mix in um the the sexes you have men and women working together overseas and they're away from their spouse uh but many would be to play for nine months sometimes a year and they would come back and they weren't coming back to their spouse right because temptation was able to set in and you see the principle there in the Bible, First Corinthians chapter number seven. Uh, you know, Paul talks about husbands and wives even fasting. He said, "You don't go go apart for too short of a time because there right. is a temptation uh, there." Even the young widows, he said, uh, "I would that they would um, remarry, remarry. Uh, because some have, or many have turned aside unto Satan." That's right. And uh, so there's such an importance of assembly. And then if we're a body, uh, a body has got to function together. The bride is going to meet with the head, the lordship, uh, preeminent uh, Christ, our head, uh, and then also a flock. And I, I love to ask people this. Um, and I, you know, if you're t- if you're training somebody, just in the simplicity that's in Christ, I say that following the Lord is not easy. It's not easy, but it's simple. Okay, right. read your Bible. That's how God speaks to you. Speak, get back to God. How do you speak back to God? What do we call that? Right. <laughs> and then I say. Now, you are a sheep. Where's the safest place for a sheep to be? Bold. There's one or two answers they'll say. With the shepherd. I'll say, yeah, that's right. And then in, inside the what? You know, oh, the, 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 flock. the flock. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So church has got to get well, I think I think anybody that gets saved is going to have a natural desire like anything else to know the Lord in a greater way mm-hmm. and to be with his people. Because it, you know, I can only speak from personal experience. But I think biblically it, it's reinforced with the idea of being together. I mean, I know that's where I grew spiritually. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. But I've met a lot of people in my life that said, well, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Christian, but I don't think I need to go to church. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you know, you don't think? <laughs> that's your problem is you're thinking. Yeah. yeah I, was watching, um, I was watching a documentary on, on Michael Jordan. And, um, you know, those NBA players get fined if they do not come to practice. It's important for them to function as a team, as a unit. And they were showing how that when Michael Jordan was going to be on um, Air Jordan, a movie he did with Bugs Bunny, Mm -hmm. co-stars, that they actually built for him a basketball court. And and he put it up to, and he handpicked and invited all these different NBA players from different teams to come you want come scrimmage, and they had full they had full games right uh, every single night after he was done shooting that video because it was so important for them to get together and to exercise the game of basketball. Well, you know whether it's basketball or football or any sport, you know it's great to be able to watch it on your big screen TV, mm-hmm. but nothing replaces being in the stadium. Mm-hmm especially if you have good seats, right? We don't want to be back row football players, right? Mm -mm. We want to be front row. We want to have 50-yard line seats. Nothing replaces not just the game, but it's the the energy 
that's that there. Aud- right? Yeah, of that audience. You can you can feel that everybody is singing in unison. Um, everybody is you know clapping for their team when they score a, a touchdown. And nothing replaces being at the house of God, listening to the singing, mm-hmm. participating in the singing, having that influence you and vice versa. Then, of course, the preaching. Then it all boils down to the time of invitation mm-hmm. where the conviction has been settling in from the singing to the preaching. Now there's a decision that has to be made. When you're all by yourself in front of your big screen TV, sure, you can watch the same uh, sermon. You can hear the same message, but you're missing out on all of that other part that I just described that has an influence on whether or not you're going to make a decision or not. I th- yeah, and I think of a couple things you, you illustrated with. This one is a sports game. So someone's going to pay hundreds of dollars to go to an NFL game with 80,000 other people and sit in the nosebleeds, hundreds of dollars many times, uh, to be at that game. Uh, How about this? During the presidential cycle election, how come in this virtual world, um, you know, Donald Trump, you know, he he put out uh, hit TV series before he became president. How come he just doesn't pitch um, virtual. How come we don't have a virtual campaign? Why would he go up to five different places in a day and have rallies, in-person rallies? Because there's something special about people congregating together for a cause. And then look at the left. Um, all of us, all of the liberal states, we are in, we are in the state of New York, and our governor um, closed down churches. Some of us, thankfully, we didn't get persecuted too bad, not like there in California, but some of us opened back up under threat of the law. But at the same time, the BLM movement, both Governor Cuomo and Mayor de Blasio down right. in New York City, de Blasio said to the Jews, he said, if you meet together, I'll shut you down and maybe permanently. Right. Yeah. But as soon as the Black Lives Matter pipes up, well, we must act now. We must get together in person and protest now. So even the world knows the power of people getting together under the same cause, under the same banner. Going back to that sports illustration, adding something to that, uh, you you played sports in school or whatever, and I know Jack played uh, basketball. Um, Before the game, you all met in the locker room all together, and the coach reminded you of what you practiced and what you knew and what you trained for and what you're supposed to do when you get out onto that court. He still coaches from the sidelines, but the fact is – he doesn't have the opportunity to to uh, re-instruct him on the sideline as much as he did in the locker room mm-hmm. with a board, drawing the pictures and everything else. So it's kind of like the church meets together, be reminded of what God has for us to do, how he wants us to do it, the strength he wants to give us to do it, because we're going to go out into that and we're going to face our adversary mm-hmm. and uh, and we're, to, we're supposed to win. But along with the idea you're talking about the, the sports as well with the stadiums, it's amazing, and that's why I say it's a it's a mockery. They don't want churches to function. I don't even know mm-hmm. if they understand what they're doing. Mm-hmm. I know the devil does. If you think about it, they have an NFL game. The guys stand there for the coin toss, have to wear a mask. Then they go to the sideline, take their mask off, put their helmet on, and go out and roll around and spit on each other <laughs> and each breathe on faces. each other yeah. in their faces and everything else. And it's like, that's okay. It's like that these protesters and rioters. Right. You know, we can't meet together. You got to be a percentage or something. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a mockery 
you know, to the church. And I, and I, it's a tragedy. Some Christians are using that as a vehicle to say, well, you don't need to go to church. You can watch digitally or on the big screen or whatever. It's sad. And there I, needs to be. The yes. And, I, and I'll, you know, and I'll um, say, I'm the first one who loves all this, um, technology sure and, sure and um i remember when i first got saved my mom gave me like three huge tapes of tubs or tubs of tapes i got the backwards <laughs> tubs of tapes and they say trying to you figure know out where you, you were going with tubs uh, you know <laughs> so you know pastors they say used to you know they used to be bookworms and then they were tape worms <laughs> and so yeah, i would listen to one preaching tape on the way to work one on the way home uh, and then, of course, it, it evolved to CDs, and then uh, now we have MP3 files, and we have videos, YouTube. Uh, but never one time did I listen to a tape, CD, uh, or listen to sacred music or anything and say, I have been to church. Right. I never got those two confused. Well, you know, technology is really phenomenal. I love it in so many ways. I love the fact that if I don't know where a particular verse is, I can either mm -hmm. go to my app, mm -hmm. type in the word, and boom, it populates all the verses in the Bible that has that word. So there's a tremendous benefit through mm -hmm. the technology. But we know that the devil often takes something that is uh, maybe it would be all moral, neither good nor bad, but he can spin it for his benefit. And when you start talking about church, and and really we're we're getting back to to use a word that liberals love, um, organic. You don't get more organic than mm -hmm. being in person mm -hmm. in the house of God versus being distant, right? And the Bible says in Hebrews, lo, I come in the volume of the book, not the app, not the YouTube, mm -hmm. but the book. And again, I love my app on my right. phone for finding verses or even reading from time to time, but nothing replaces the actual book that mm -hmm. Hebrews said. Mm -hmm. um, and then describing in the book of Revelation in heaven who's worthy to open the book. And so we're talking about things that you can touch that are mm -hmm. tangible. When you do virtual church, you're not able to touch. You're not able to be in person. Mm -hmm. You're not able to be organic. And I would think everybody wants to be organic. If you, if well, you had a disease, what would you rather be treated by? WebMD... <laughs> or an actual physical doctor. There you go. Yeah. And I would say as shepherds, don't you think it's important, um, your local assembly of believers, and I think of, you know, being pastored by the different men I've been pastored by. Um, I, I mean, those men, God put the pastor that I needed at that time in my life when I needed them. And then there was always something special about being in my church and ministered to by my pastor and also not just by the pastor, but by the people in my congregation. There's something special that goes on in your particular congregation because that's your yes. family. It's got your own DNA. I know Dad always says that uh, expert is a former drip under pressure, uh, but then also an expert is someone from at least 50 miles away with a briefcase. <laughs> yeah. But it, it, there's no replacing... Yeah, the actual, and then a lot of people have gotten caught up watching church on TV for casual reasons, for a yeah. cup of coffee to yeah. sit there, and they think they've been to church, has been made mention. But I think another angle of this is the Bible says that the pastor has to give an account mm -hmm. to God one day for his sheep. 
and I mean his sheep, as we uh, being the under shepherd, how is that possible when you never lay they're, eyes on the not sheep? There. Yeah, that's good. And point. how can you take actions? heed to your flock? Yeah, yeah, which the Holy Spirit have made you overseers right. of. So that other side of it is we have a responsibility, and it's not just they should come because we're there and we should, but that's one of one of the things and reasons a person does because God God is going to hold us accountable. Mm-hmm. for how those sheep are doing. Mm-hmm. And when you have somebody saying, well, you, there, nowhere in the Bible does the New Testament tell you to gather together. Great shepherd, huh? <laughs> and you, yes, yeah, great virtual content is being put out as we speak, I'm sure. Uh, but you see the principle, Old and New Testament, I would argue from Cain and Abel, you see that they're going to a particular place at a particular time to offer up sacrifice together. I mean, all the way through. And, of course, in the New Testament, 115 times uh, church is mentioned, called out assembly, and over 100 times a particular assembly is spoken of. Mm -hmm. Uh, But in the Old Testament, congregation, assemble, and assembly is mentioned over 400 times. So God's people getting together was key uh, to the worship of God. Well, you mentioned the Old Testament with, and I, and first thing that came across my mind is Abraham mm-hmm. and building an altar at Bethel, which mm-hmm. means the house of God. Mm-hmm. So Abraham got in trouble when he left Bethel because he wanted to go down into Egypt. There was plenty of food that's going to be in that location versus the famine inside the will of God. It was too hard, too difficult mm-hmm. at Bethel. But it'd be a lot easier if I go down into Egypt where they have everything. And when he decides to get right with God, he goes back to Bethel, the house of God. Now, here's the problem. As soon as he got back to Bethel, the house of God, yes, he's back closer to the Lord, but he's got some baggage. Mm-hmm. Hagar's the name. Yeah. The Egyptian handmaid. Mm-hmm. And we know the story how he gets in trouble. And then we've got Ishmael and Isaac, and those two half-brothers are still trying to figure out who's the firstborn, even to this day, that impacts even my wallet at the pump in 2020, and I'm right. living here in western New York. Mm-hmm. So the decision to leave the house of God, i.e. Bethel, and to go to some place of comfort in Egypt has long-lasting negative consequences even to us today. And I think when God's people leave the house of God for their own house Mm -hmm. and their own TV screen, they're making a decision that will not only impact them, but even future generations. Just like you're saying, perfect illustration what you're given, because parents that don't take their kids to church, how are they going to expect to see them in heaven one day? Because that's the big congregation. Yes. Yeah, and the thing is, is because they're not instructed they're not around an example of people that know something I don't know. Yes. Mm-hmm. They're just told they need to be a Christian and they have their child pray when they're four years old. They said, no, you got saved when you were four years old or six years old or whatever. And the thing is, there's no growth. There's no... And, and, there's and no salvation indication. is being taken out of something and being added Add to, to something. something. Yeah, no, no doubt. And you see in the New Testament, show me the example in the New Testament where someone got saved didn't... Uh, become part of the church, come become part of the body or a follower of Christ. Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. just not there. You're not going to be able to find it. If any man be in Christ. And and again, in First John, you can't be, you can't even know that you're saved unless you attend and are a part of, and in a submission to, but you're, I mean, I, us as pastors, um, we're the most observed person at church. So, you know, we're in subjection to our congregation. And uh, we're in accountable unto our congregation, but you can't have the assurance of your own salvation and uh, five different places. And John talks about the um, knowing that you're saved, 
by the witness of the saints that are around you and the witness within you loving the saints, you ministering to the saints. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can I, can I mention the uh, elephant in the room? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Everybody is saying the reason why we're doing virtual is because of the pandemic, mm-hmm. the virus. Mm-hmm. And so they're looking at, um, they're fearful. There are many that are just legitimately, or at least they're telling us, that they're afraid that if I go to a congregation, I could get it. And then we're told that you could be asymptomatic and then spread it to others unknowingly. Mm -hmm. And so therefore, um, even if they're not showing signs or symptoms, they're still a little bit leery because they could get it and be asymptomatic and hurt their parents or grandparents or somebody that's, that's vulnerable. And I just think of how Paul told us in Timothy, 2 Timothy 1, 7, the Lord hath not given us the spirit of fear, mm-hmm. but of love and power and sound mind. Now, obviously, we don't want to be reckless. We know in the Old Testament, in Leviticus, if, if someone had um, what looked or appeared to be leprosy, mm-hmm. he would appear before the priest, and they would observe, and then they would say, you need to quarantine they for seven days, yeah. or up to 14 days. So there's we're, we're not contesting that issue, but we're now living in a society where the government says, well, you know, this could be spread asymptomatically, and we just need all locked down. I don't know about you, but I think of the words of, of uh, Patrick Henry, give me liberty or give me death. I'd 10 times rather be alive and have freedom than I would to be alive and confounded or confined into my own house or even because I'm afraid to even leave. By the way, what I find, the same people who say, I, I'm not going to go to church because of the possibility of getting it, well, then you would never go to the grocery store. Right. Well, and, you know, at the grocery store, all these thousands of people are coming in there one day touching all these different products. And, right. uh, you know, you're you're in uh, close proximity to each other. Um, yeah, you know, absolutely. And I, I think um, that there is that uh, spirit of fear out there and there's somebody watching this um, and perhaps you are in one of those risk categories and uh and you're you're nervous about that and um but that's to, for you to judge between you and god but let me say this is that when we were shut down here and i could come into church on sunday and i preach my am message and my pm message all at the same time and uh i didn't have to say hi to anybody except for john boots our sound guy <laughs> and we'd catch up in about you know or, you know neither one of us are huge talkers we catch up in five minutes or something and uh so i would preach to the screen look into the screen and then leave go home get my stretchy pants on and uh, i'd watch the pm service with the family watch somebody else's service not mine that was far more encouraging doing that instead of watching myself. <laughs> there was something a very appealing sure, to just sitting at home and watching church on the screen, but it was appealing to my flesh yeah. and not to my spirit. And then you have everybody has a propensity to be lazy. Right. I don't think there's, right. I think laziness is something that is um, part of sinful fallen flesh. Well, it says in Proverbs, the sluggard will not plow by reason of the cold. The sluggard can render every man a reason. He always got a reason not to do what he needs to do. Uh, One of the sluggard's reasons is he says that there is a lion without. There's a lion out there. I can't go out. That's something your kids would say, right? That's good. And now there's a virus without. So you just got to be careful. 
not to use this virus as just an excuse for your flesh. I think we need to see this for what this is. Certainly, people do get sick. I'm sure you all may know of some. I have some friends that have Mm -hmm. gotten the virus, uh, one in particular that uh, nearly died from it, but has thankfully come through. Um, And so we know it's a legitimate issue that folks are dealing with. But, you know, it's that spirit of fear, yet the government tells us churches have to be shut down only essential businesses can be open. And in that category of essential would be liquor stores, mm-hmm. vaping stores, uh, pot dispensaries here in New York State. So you mean to tell me those are essential, mm-hmm. but the house of God is not essential. Right. Church is not essential. Yeah. And so, um, and so of course, we... Uh, completely, and I, I'm working on so, I'm working on something, writing up something about uh, the government, and from Romans chapter number thirteen, and First Peter, and other places, uh, in Titus, this would be in subjection to authority. Uh, but we understand that um, that Christ is preeminent; He is the King of the Church; He is the head of the Church, and He does say to meet. And you say, well, why did you close down? Um, we were told two million people are going to die. There was a health forecast. Um, that that uh, we were told that our our people would be put in perilous danger, uh, just like if we're in northern New York, there's two feet of snow forecasted. We'd say, hey, we're going to close down church. Some people don't, but <laughs> we do. I I'm like the, the southern I like boy. The night off. I'm the southern boy. <laughs> Why are you guys closing? Man, we like the night off every once in a while. Come on. Uh, and so yeah, so we we would shut down for you know uh, you know if the roads were. Uh, so we did the same thing for the virus. And well, I think, we I think, too, we didn't know what we were dealing with. No. No. We had well, no they clue. said there was going to be 2 million yes. Americans that are mm-hmm. going to perish. Mm-hmm. And, and we get, we got to understand. I mean, we're looking at the CDC numbers now. It's 153,000 Americans right. have died from coronavirus. Uh, but 94% right. of them had two to three other core yeah. morbidities. So they had, let's say, heart disease and cancer and corona, and they died. Or if you look at uh, every single year, 600,000 people uh, die of heart disease. Um, but we're not shutting down pizza places. We're not shutting right, down right, five guys. Right, right, right. Well, I think that what happens with, if you think about it, when it says render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar unto God, the things that are God, I think our church attendance is rendering unto God. Mm-hmm. And I think when we make a decision, snowstorm, a sickness comes through that that you know may have grave consequences, or if a portion of this uh, of the assembly of church or the church uh, are in a condition where maybe their health is not uh, well enough to take on a, a something similar to the flu, maybe even greater. And I can understand that, but sure. you know what we're doing is rendering unto God the things that are God. We'll give to Caesar what's His, right? But That's we have right. to obey God. That's right. Right, and so we're going to follow the speed limits. We're going to um, pay our taxes. We're going to do things where we, we are rendering to Caesar. But when it comes to God, and he did instruct us to assemble, and we, uh, he gave us our own conscience and our own power to, uh, to choose when we're going to assemble, we will go ahead and assemble. So, Any other thoughts, Brother Jeff? No, no, I think I uh, pretty well shared what was on my mind and heart this morning. Yeah, and let me let me encourage it. Um, in, in any crisis, there also is an opportunity in our church. I think there's been a sif- right. sifting, like in many churches, uh, a lot. Of, and what happened? 
we experienced this uh, in our virtual. We were already live streaming and things, but of course our viewership, like everybody else's, like right out of the blocks, went up a thousand percent. Um, and I think initially, again, when we thought 2 million people are going to die, people wanted to know, they want to make order out of the chaos. So one of the places they look to besides Fox News or whatever outlet of news, they're looking to the church. What's pastor going to say about this pandemic? What, what does God's word say regarding the pandemic? Uh, but then after a month, two months, churches start opening, um, we see that a lot of people have stayed out of church. Some 30% or more right. have stayed out, and they are not coming back. And another thing on top of that is they ceased watching virtual church. So at first they stopped going to church, started watching virtual, and then now the virtual has stopped, and they're not going to church, and they're not even watching anything on church. And so it's been a sifting time. It was a way, yeah, it was a way the devil could move out some people that were nominal at best. A fella that's in the Navy that you know, Jack, uh, um, when he was aboard ship when the Gulf War uh, occurred back in the 90s, early <laughs> 90s, he said on that flat top or the aircraft carrier, they'd have a Bible study of maybe 30 people. When they went to war, it would go over 200 of them showed yeah, up right, in Bible study. Right. Now the net result was good. Yeah. But as soon as like, hey, we're good. Oh, we're safe. Now yeah. I can go back. I can yeah. go back to yeah. yeah. And I think that's what's taking place. Why thirty percent maybe you're not going back. I I thought you were going to tell a story about Tony Saxton where uh, <laughs> somebody asked him, uh, "What would you do if, I if America that, went to war?" And uh, he was aboard he, ship. He was he, out to sea. He was aboard ship. Middle of the night, they're on duty at night, and they were talking amongst the. Um, <laughs> I think the officer on deck or somebody. Said, uh, what would, you know, what would you guys do if if we went to war? He's in the navy. Mm -hmm. He's out aboard ship, and so they finally got to Tony. What would you do, Tony? He said, he said, I'd go to Canada. <laughs> <laughs> and so the guy said, Tony, what'd you join the navy for? And Tony said, you know, for the first time in my life, I realized why I was in the navy to right. kill, kill and break things. <laughs> yeah, isn't that funny? And so we're seeing a little bit of that, you know. Uh, all of a sudden, there's a little persecution. Well, what would you do if persecution came? Man, I'd get out of the church. I, I, uh, there's a whole story in the Soviet Union where a KGB uh, officer he walks in the back. He says, everybody who's, who's not willing to die for Christ, get out of here. And, you know, about five people leave. Then he puts his gun on the side and says, okay, we can have church now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so that, that's a little bit of what's going on. And I've also discovered, and I know that you men have as well, is that there are people out there searching, and we've actually picked up some folks that yes. are really hungry for the gospel and hungry for the Lord. And uh, and so things are, things are going forward. And I, I think that um, even in this uh, satanic storm, God's still working too. Oh, yes, he is. And I think this is the greatest time to be alive as a Christian, aside from when Christ was on this earth walking. Mm -hmm. Because we all believe and preach that the, the rapture of the church could be at any moment. We believe we're closer we're in the last days. And so I think we're seeing all these things lining up with Scripture. There's not a greater time to serve the Lord and to be Amen. a witness. Because the hearts of people are wondering and asking. I've even had, even recently... Uh, two different, one fellow who's an atheist and another fellow who grew up under the USSR um, as a Jewish individual uh, immigrated to the States, both of them hungry for the Word of God and trying to figure out. The atheist said, he said, he said, Brother Jeff, is this the last days? That's from an atheist. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So people are looking and asking questions. And it's a great time to be a Christian and to stand for the Lord. Yeah. You you had made mention of the fact of some people not coming back because they, they don't want to get the virus, you know, they don't want to be... But it reminds me of that little caption I saw where these people were standing in line to check out one right after another. They all had their mask on. And um, the one person, well, their lady said to another person, said, and there's a long line ready to check out. She said, I can't believe they want us to vote in person. <laughs> Here they are standing in line at grocery store <laughs> right. in person. You yeah, know, that's right. Everything. And that's what happens at church. I can't believe, I go grocery shopping, I go do the restaurants everything, but they expect me to go to church. Right. Yeah. I can't believe they're having yeah. church. That's right. That's yeah, right. That, yeah, that is, uh, that is the truth. Yeah, so um, yeah, right now it's some interesting times to be alive, and I think a yeah. lot of Christians have the propensity to, to, to wish and desire for uh, like the, the 1950s type of a culture, yeah. a warden June Cleaver. And I think what they really want is a Christless Christianity, yeah. just like the wholesome uh, life where they don't have to make a stand for Christ. But, uh, you know, we have an opportunity like never before in the history of this country. You ever seen the Christian mu- movie Time Changers? No, I have not. Oh. Good so, one, huh? Yeah, it's good. It's about a seminary back in the 1800s. And one of the, you know, it's a, obviously fictitious, but somebody wants to enter in a certain uh, thought saying, let's change our society to make it a, uh, a you know, we leave it to beaver time. Yeah. Then, but I mean, just everybody be nice to everybody. And the other guy said, you got to preach the gospel. They got to have the gospel. Mm-hmm. So one of them had a time changing machine, put mm-hmm. them up into the 19 or 1990s or something like that and saw, and he had predicted the time, the changing that would take place in churches mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. he comes up to the 1990s or whatever and he's living in that and it's it's a, i mean it's very profound because it shows the times are changing in that yeah and we we've seen tumultuous times a little bit um in our own history in america and um if you look at the like the late 1960s all the political unrest and vietnam and everything else there was a lot of people that were saved back then and I know, you know, you and mom got saved um, shortly there thereafter and um, a lot, a lot. And I know in the Rochester area, like tens of thousands of people were st- saved during the 70s. Oh, yeah, right. and, uh, so I believe we, we do live in exciting times and um, it's an exciting time to serve the Lord. And it's an exciting time to be in church. Amen. Live. Yes. Yeah. What? Well, let's end there. Brother Harris, where can folks find you at? You've got a website they can sure sure abcrochester.org dad's at heritage baptist church of palmyra.org <laughs> and uh check us out at lbbc.info or pastorjack.org and stay tuned please subscribe like and share this podcast and uh leave, leave us a good review that'd really help us out as well give us a five-star rating we'd appreciate that and so god bless you until next time we got some exciting episodes coming up so stay tuned